All right. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, gather together in your name and be together, study your word. And I do pray that once again, as we just uh, hear the heart of Paul uh, for that group of believers you know, a couple millenniums ago and, and just, Lord, his, his, uh, just his prayer for them. And, and I pray that we would know that that is bottom line, your prayer for all of us. And, and God, that uh, we, would, we would be people who, Lord, we don't, just, we don't just hear this, but we hear it inside, that it changes us and, and motivates us. So I do pray that once again, you'd just give us ears to hear, that you'd bless this time. And most of all, God, that we could leave here changed individuals. So again, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we, as we think about this, remember we talked last time that in verse one, Paul starts to pray, then he gets a little bit distracted. And his distraction is once again talking about the church and what the church is and, and the fact that the church is a mystery, but it's not a mystery that you need to solve. Remember in the Bible when it talks about a mystery, a mystery is something that God reveals and as he opens up and he reveals. And so we've been looking for a couple weeks now about the idea that the church this thing that we call the church, us coming together, Christianity, we're the third race. In other words, we come together as one. We're one big family. And, and again, I think Paul just like couldn't get that out of his heart and he shared some more and then now he's back to the prayer. Now, I gotta ask, do you get distracted while you're praying? Yeah, we're all kind of laughing, huh? We all get distracted and, and so it's kind of natural that, but you know, for me, I wish I got distracted the way he got distracted. Like Paul got distracted about spiritual things. I get distracted about none of your business, but I get distracted about those things, right? That you're kind of off and wandering and your mind's going all over and doing stuff. So he comes back and now tonight we're going to hear, I think he makes three requests. Some people say he makes four. Some people have up to six. I think he makes three very specific request for this church and I gotta keep reminding us, Paul's in prison. He's in prison for something he didn't do. And you know, when I think about that, I think about, man, I'm not sure I'm that spiritual that I would be encouraging and praying for those outside of prison while I'm in prison and especially if I didn't do something. If, if you ever feel innocent, and you're kind of locked up, it just makes you that much more angry, right? You're just like, Ugh. I was locked up one time coming back into the United States at the border, and I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but uh, myself and another guy got put in a cell. And uh, yeah, it was kind of intense, and so we got all mad. And then the, the bad thing is we blew our witness, because we are like yelling at people and doing things, and it's like, why can't I be more like Paul and say, you know what, God bless you and you know, I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna do these things instead of I'm gonna report you, I'm gonna turn you in, I'm gonna get you. And so Paul's praying for these people and it always blows my mind. So look at, look at the beginning of verse 14. It's funny, it takes you a while to get out of verse 14 but then we'll flow. But for this reason, now he started in verse one and he said, for this reason. 
Now in verse 14, and, and it's kind of like, do you, do you ever do this when you're praying and you do get distracted and you kind of wander off? Do you go back and say the thing you were starting to say when you prayed in the beginning? You know, like, you know, Lord, I want to lift up, you know, Calvary Chapel and service and I want to, and then your mind goes, and then you go, Lord, I want to lift up Calvary Chapel service. You kind of, you kind of start in that same place, right? And that's what Paul is doing. Listen, Paul's going, you know, for this reason in verse one, and then he goes, off on this other thing and now he's back and he goes for this reason now here's an interesting thing for this reason I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named so the interesting thing is what is Paul saying Paul's saying he's getting on his knees to pray that was extremely unusual for a Jew. The Jewish position of prayer was standing. And it's highly unusual for them to do this. Now, I think, you know, for some people, they think kneeling to pray is how you need to pray. I, I uh, prayed with an elderly guy several years ago, and, you know, I just wanted to pray with him. And he goes, got to get on your knees. And I go, really? And he said, yeah, for real. I said, okay. So, you know, and sometimes we kind of draw that or, or we get the idea that we have to do certain things. You, you must, you must close your eyes to pray unless you're driving. <laughs> but we kind of get these things and some people draw it from here. Listen, this was unusual for Paul to do and, and I believe, listen, I believe what he's trying to emphasize is his heart for these people. And his, his willingness to completely submit himself to God and be under God's authority. I, I believe that's what, listen, I don't think he's giving us a formula on our position for prayer. The most important part of prayer is the position of our heart and where our heart is at, not our physical position. So again, I think he's just demonstrating where his heart is at by his physical position and then and then he says, you know, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which again was a little unusual to call God Father. A Jew would never do that. And remember, he's got a heavy Jewish background, but he's doing that. And then he says, from, the, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, a lot of people kind of take this that, you know, that we're all, we're all, the whole world, we're all children of God. That's not what he's saying. What has he been talking about since chapter two, he's been talking about the family, us being the family. God is our father, and we're all brothers and sisters. We're part of the family. And again, that whole idea where he's broken down that barrier, especially for them, between Jew and Gentile was intense. And he, he's letting us know Jesus broke down that racial barrier, and it no longer exists. So we're all part of the family. We're part of the family of God. He's our father. And I think he's talking about saints who have gone before us. And us and saints who are going to go after us. Listen, he's talking about not the universal, you know, fatherhood of God, but as far as the church, that God is the father of all. Hey, people who got saved in the Old Testament, listen carefully. They got saved the same way we did. No one got saved by keeping the law. 
because no one ever kept the law. People in the Old Testament got saved by looking forward to Jesus Christ. They called him the Messiah. Their whole goal was they were looking forward to that in faith that God was gonna send the Messiah. They put their faith in that. That's how they got saved. We get saved by putting our faith, looking back at the cross and what Jesus has done. So I believe that's what he's talking about. So here's the idea. Let's get the idea. Here's what Paul, I believe, is trying to lay out, that we are all in this together. Paul in prison in Rome, those guys in Ephesus, the Jews that are born again in Jerusalem, we're all the family of God. And so he's lifting up this family. So again, I think he's like encouraging these people. And listen, maybe there was a really, really difficult thing going on specifically in Ephesus between the Jews and the Gentiles as far as, you know, the Jews. And even today, some Jews think because they have a Jewish background, they're a cut above every other Christian. I've been around those Jews, you know, you know, Jesus is my Messiah. Well, you know what I tell them? He's my Messiah too. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. You're not above me just because you're, you have a Jewish background. That doesn't make you a better Christian or a, a more Christian or a more, you know, heavenly bound person. We're all going to heaven because Jesus Christ died for our sins and we're sinners saved by grace. So, Maybe they were having a big issue and maybe this is again Paul just instilling that in them. Now he gets into the prayer. So the first part of the prayer for me is 16 and the first part of 17. And he says, listen, he's, he's you know, bowing his knees to the Father the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I think he's asking for several things, but bottom line, he's asking that we would be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in us. It's kind of kind of bringing it down to that. But here's what I love once again, and I think it's something we need to pay attention to. Is if you're a Bible marker, mark this, that he's praying that God would according to his riches, not out of his riches. We talked about this when we were doing chapter one. Hey, there's a big difference in giving out of what you have than giving according to what you have. I could have $110 million, and if I give you 10 bucks, that's giving out of what I have. But if I give you $5 million, that's giving according to what I have. And that's what God, listen, man, I love this, his prayer that God would give us according to the riches of his glory. How, how huge do you think the riches of God's glory is? Pretty big, right? Huge, and he's saying, man, I want God to give to you according to the riches of his glory. He says, I want you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I believe the whole objective of the church of the church assembling, let's say it that way, of us coming together. We said it uh, when we were looking at Hebrews this weekend. The reason we come together is so that we can be strengthened, edified, and built up so we can do the ministry, so the inner man can be built up. I believe my job is to take care of the inner man, that the inner man can be like strong and vibrant. And a lot of us, listen, a lot of us spend a lot of time on the outer man. Like I'm looking around and most of you spent time on the outer man. Like all of you did. Some of you spent more time than others. That becomes evident. 
But we spend time on the outer man. We want to look good, right? We don't want to to go out, you know, very few of us go out of the house without ever looking at a mirror. Some do. And then some you wonder. But we care about the outer man. Do you spend the same amount of time on the inner man? The spiritual part, are you feeding and nourishing and grooming and cleansing and and strengthening that inner man? Are you doing, you know, some of us get into exercising and it's good. We want to be healthy. We want to be fit. We want to be strong. And that's a good thing. But are you doing the same for the inner man? Listen, here's Paul's heart. Then he says, you know, in Corinthians, he says, hey, strengthening the outer man's good. But what about that inner? And here he says, man, listen to what he says, that he wants God to grant us according to his riches and glory to strengthen that inner man. Here's the heart of God, man. He wants us to be everything that he knows we have the potential of being. And again, I think, you know, when I think of that, I think of educators. I think almost everybody involved in education, they want their students to be everything. They, they see potential. I used, to, I used to have teachers go, man, Pat, you have so much potential and you are so lazy. And they go, why don't you do it? And then, never mind. But, and here's what God's saying. I want to pour into you so that you can live and go up to the potential that I see that you have. And Paul's saying, man, I want, you, I want that inner man to be exercised and strengthened. And then he says, listen, that the inner man might be that, that Christ. Look at verse 17. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants that to happen so Christ might dwell. Now, there's a big difference. Listen carefully. There's a huge difference between when we're born again and we're saved, Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, right? Not your head, somebody. Yeah. That's salvation. And here he's saying that he wants Christ. Here's what he's saying, that that inner man might be strengthened, that Christ might dwell in our hearts. Doesn't he already dwell in our hearts? Well, I kind of look at it this way. He's come in, but is he dwelling? Hmm. I think there's a huge difference. The word dwell here is more like he's at home. Is Jesus at home in your heart? Well, that's kind of a scary question, right? Like, hey, I go visit people, I go in their house, and I can be comfortable, but I'm not at home. It always cracks me up when people say, just make yourself at home. When people tell me that, I want to, like, call some friends, have them come over, and rearrange everything. Well, you told me to make myself at home. I'll just rearrange your house, you know? And we don't mean that when we're saying that, but is Jesus really at home in your heart? Because I think we compartmentalize life. And some of us do it to a greater degree than others, but I think we all compartmentalize a little bit. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of it's like in our, you know, like when I usually go visit people in their home, they usually don't always show you the parts that they don't want you to see, right? Like we put everything in that room. My mom, my mom was horrible. She had a room. She had a room that everything went in that room. And no, no stranger ever crossed that barrier. And here's the thing. Can Jesus go in that room in your heart? 
Do you have that room where you kind of lock away things and you tell them, you know what, you can go in the living room, you can go in the dining room, a little bit. I'm kind of a pig when I eat, so not totally. But are you getting my point? Is he dwelling? Here's what, here's what Paul's point is. He wants to be so strong and so strengthened in the inner man that it would not be, listen, it would be no big deal for us to let Jesus have all of us, every part of us. He could dwell richly in our hearts. And when he takes up that residence, when he's dwelling, listen, not just visiting or not just being there, but he's dwelling, then, listen, then the world is gonna know there's something going on in your life because he is the one who is going to shine through you and it's not gonna be you. So I kinda love that idea. There's a great little booklet. Uh, I don't know if it's still in print. This is an old, this is a really, really old dead guy. But this is a great little booklet. It's called, it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it talks about the different rooms and if you let him in, you know, and, and I love it because he kind of walks through each room and has a conversation with Jesus in each room and, and it's a fun book to, but you know what? It's also, it's really convicting because you read it and go, oh, bummer. So good thing to look at, but listen, man, is he dwelling there and have you allowed him to come in and dwell? So that's the prayer number one. He wants our inner man to be strengthened so that it will be obvious to others that Christ is dwelling in us, that he's at home with us and in us. And then prayer part of uh, the next part of his prayer, number two, he says in the middle of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may... Uh, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So here's what he's asking, and, and listen again, I think a lot of people know this part of the prayer, but here's what he's saying, man. First of all, that we be rooted and grounded in love. I kind of like it, you know, Paul Paul kind of takes up where Jesus leaves off. He uses metaphors, you know, agriculture, building. Most people, most people understand agricultural things. We, we understand that things that grow have to get roots and the better the roots, the better the, the fruit or the outcome or the tree or whatever. And he wants us rooted. He wants deep roots. And then also the grounded part is more of a, you know, an architectural thing. We also know you have to have a good foundation, right? To build on anything, the foundation is what counts and it's a part nobody sees. It's kind of crazy if you've ever built a house or been part of a project you know you put tons of time into that foundation and here's what he's saying man he goes listen I want that inner man strengthened but I also want you to be rooted and grounded in love in agape not just listen not just emotional love not just love that's attracted to another but this love that's willing I, I always look at you know agape love is love that makes a choice to love in spite of. And so he's saying, man, I want you rooted and grounded in that. And he says, why? That we may know, listen, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes understanding. So listen, this is obviously all about love, this portion. And that, that would get ingrained in us but here's something I think a lot of us overlook, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. I'm gonna say something that might bum people out right now. You cannot experience agape love by yourself. 
You cannot experience agape love by hanging out with people that you get along with. You can only experience agape love by those people that rub you the wrong way, those people that freak you out a little bit, those people that you, you kind of look at and you go, how come they're in? And here's what some of us think. Why are they in my church? It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. And the only way, listen, the only way the second part of this prayer is gonna take place is by coming together, once again, with all the saints. Isn't it amazing how what we're walking through right now in our world, how we're in the midst of studying two different books that kind of keep bringing up this whole thing that we need each other, that we gotta be together, this is part of God's plan for us. And listen, you're not gonna do it. And, and I kinda love that part, he says, man, listen, I want you to know this and I want you to be grounded in the love and that you can comprehend with all the saints. It's gonna take all of us together to get a hold of this idea of what is really the love of Christ because again, you can only experience the love of Christ when you're loving somebody that's not lovable. That's the love of Christ. Do you know he loved you when you were not lovable? Do you know he loved you when you were in in your sin. I think sometimes I look back at my life and, and I think of dumb things that I did and, and gross things that I did, but some of the dumb things that, you know, that I know that God had his hand on me at that time because I should have died. Stuff happened. I was in a car wreck one time. We rolled a car at least eight times and probably more than that. And it was a disaster. I was in the back seat behind the driver when we started, when we finished rolling, because this was pre-seat belt, when we finished and the car ended up on its wheels, which was amazing, I was in the front passenger seat. I should have died. That car was mashed down. I mean, it was, so anyway, you look at that and you go, man, he loved me, and I was doing something really stupid at the time. I wasn't driving, but I was involved in something, and you're thinking, that's how much he loves me. I wasn't lovable. I wasn't praising God. I wasn't even looking for God. I didn't even care about God, but he loved me. Are you getting the point? And sometimes as Christians, we walk around and you know, we look at people and we think, you know, and we don't express that love of God towards others that we should be. And I know, listen, I know God's a God of judge, you know, the, uh, of justice and righteousness and all that, but we're talking about, we're talking about right now, is our inner man strong enough to love those that aren't so lovable? Maybe they come around and, you know, and for some of us, some of us, we gotta, we gotta, you know, love the straight-laced person, so to speak, you know? We gotta love the person that's like, like normal, according to, I don't know who's standard. And then, and then, they gotta love us back who are abnormal, and they look at us and they go, whoo, I don't know if I can do that. He says, as the saints, we're gonna do that. But then, listen, man, then he goes deeper into this, and I kind of love this. He says, listen, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So, listen, he's saying this is something, here's what's, what's inc incredible. He's saying this is something you can't know. Are you picking up on the end of that? He says, you can't know this, but I'm praying that you know this. Do you ever read your Bible and go, what? This is passes knowledge, but I want you to know it. What does that tell you? That there's only one way to know it. 
The only way you're going to know it is by walking with Jesus and having him strengthen that inner man. It's sort of like this. I heard, or I should say I read, that somebody went up to Louis Armstrong and they said, how do you know jazz? And here's what he said. If you have to ask, you ain't got it. Just know, right? There's some things you just know. And this is what he's telling you and I. This is not a knowledge thing. You can't buy books. And you know what's sad is there's, I would say, probably upwards of 2,000 books written on the love of Christ. And even more than that, if we take love in general and how many songs are written about love and et cetera. But here's what the Bible says. It passes knowledge. The love we're talking about isn't knowledge. It's not something you acquire and you learn and you find out about. It's something that, listen carefully, that you either are or you aren't. And it's important for us to grasp that and you are by Christ indwelling in you, right? And him finding his home in you. And then he says, I want to come back into the middle of it because I think it's important. He says that you would know the width, the length, the depth, and the height. So I look at it this way. I think the simplest way to look at this, there's a lot of explanations. There's a lot written on this part. And I'm thinking, seriously? It's like really not that complicated. I think he's saying this, I want you to know love in every dimension. And in some ways, this is gonna be a weird word, but Paul makes up words at the end of this so I can make up one in the middle. It's undimensionable, right? You can't, you can't, how do you like that word? Write that one down. Those of you who take notes, write it in the margin of your Bible. Listen, I don't think you can bind up God's love and make it nice and neat and here it is. And people are trying to do that. Here's what some people say. Listen, some people say, when he says, I want you to know, I want you to know the width. Well, the width is wide enough to embrace the whole world. I want you to know the length. It's long enough to last forever. I want you to know the height. It's high enough to take sinners to heaven. I want you to know the depth. It's deep enough to take, uh, to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest. Yeah, all of that's true, but I don't think, listen, I don't think Paul is thinking in definition. Here's what I think. I think he's trying to get across. This is a mind-blowing thing that we're talking about. The love of God is not something, number one, we should take lightly, not something, number two, that we can define and put, you know, boundaries on. It's something that you either are or you aren't. You either have it or you don't. And if he's at home in there, oh, you got it. You got it. Jesus is in that room that you've been messing up for 15 years and there's all that junk in there and he's like going, this is the stuff that you've stored up. You know the, you know the sin that you like to hide? Do you keep out of everybody else's eyes? And he's in that room cleaning it out. Why? Because you've let him in and you've let him come in and he's dwelling. So that's the second part. So the first part is that he wants us to be Strengthen in the inner man that Christ may dwell in us. The second part is that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of God and be able to demonstrate the love of God. And then the very last part, listen, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the shortest one. And here's what I think. 
I think number three, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think that's his prayer, and the other two are the fruit of being filled with the fullness of God. Now, when he talks about that, he's not telling you and I that we can become gods. Well, if I get enough God in me, then I can become God, and then that would... No, he's not talking about that because... We're never going to become God. We're never going to know everything God knows. We're never going to be like God. We're always going to be humans. And I know some people get a little freaked out. Some people think when we go to heaven, we're going to get wings or we're going to get something and, you know, and, and, and we're going to become and we're going to know everything God knows. When you get to heaven, you're not going to know everything God knows. In heaven, you're going to be a human who's saved, Period. You're not going to be elevated into some other dimension. You're not going to become an angel. You're not going to become, you're going to be a human who's saved and redeemed and glorified. But here he's saying something that's kind of remarkable. How can I be filled with the fullness of God? I'm a finite being and God is an infinite being. How are you going to fill me with the fullness of God? That's a little complicated, isn't it? Unless... Unless we kind of understand something. It's sort of like this. You could go to the ocean. Let's go to the Pacific. I like it better than the Atlantic. I'm a Westerner. So let's go to the Pacific. And do you ever, do you, if you've ever been either ocean, any place, you ever stand on the beach and just look out and just you're amazed at the vastness? I'm always amazed at this. I'm always amazed that the waves just keep coming. I can sit and look at them for hours and think, why do they keep coming? Where are they coming from? When are they going to stop? And it's so vast. And you look at it and you go, wow. Do you ever take any home with you? Some people do. Some people like to do that. Like you could get a jar and you could go to the Pacific Ocean, you put the jar in the ocean and you could take it home. What does that jar contain? contains the Pacific Ocean, doesn't it? And it contains all, it contains the fullness of the Pacific Ocean. If you take that water and analyze it, and you take the water that's in the Pacific Ocean, you're gonna get the same analysis. Are you kind of getting my point? Hey, this isn't saying you can have all of God in you because you can't contain God. That's an impossibility. But it is saying that you can have the fullness of God, dimensionally speaking, you can have the fullness of God indwelling in you so that you yield yourself completely to him. And this is what Paul's whole prayer is, that we would yield ourselves so much to God that there would be no room for self and the only room in there is for the Holy Spirit, you know, working through us and in us. So you can, in this sense, his heart is, man, I want you to be filled with, the, with all the fullness of God. I want that in my life. I want every bit of God in me. I want, I want listen, and talking about the fullness, I want, I want all of that dimension. I want depth. I want relationship. I want, I want to understand things that are, quote, un, under, understandable, that, that you look at and you go, man, how do I figure that out? And here's what I love about this prayer. This prayer is not about logic. If you look at the whole prayer, it's kind of illogical. You can't, you can't like number it. You can't do, uh, we tease Pastor Rob. He's a spreadsheet fanatic in our church. You can't do a spreadsheet on, on, on chapter 3, 14 through 21. You can't put it all together. It doesn't fit in a nice little box. Here's what he's saying. I want things to happen to you that, that aren't things that are natural. I want the supernatural to happen to you. 
And I want it to be a reality in your life. I don't want your relationship to God to be step one, step two, step three, step four, and now I've accomplished this. I want it to be so mind-altering that people sometimes might even say, what happened to you? And then you can tell them, Jesus, that's what happened to me. And hopefully it's a good thing that happened to you, not a bad thing, right? But are you getting his heart? The heart of Paul is this. I want your life to be supernatural. Don't live, listen, don't just live in this dimension, but get outside of this dimension. And I'm not talking about weirdness, and I'm, not talking, I'm talking about understanding. Do you tonight fully believe, and I mean believe with your entire being, that the God who created everything dwells in you? You know, in church, it's easy to say, yeah, right? We're all in church, and, and especially if I look at you, you're definitely, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. You gonna believe it on the way home? You gonna believe it when you get home and your husband takes his clothes and throws them in the corner? And How come you're not picking up your clothes? And you start that bickering, and then all of a sudden, this whole agape love goes, this whole walking in the spirit. We gotta believe this. Listen, 24-7, hear the heart of Paul. Man, I want this to be so real in your guys' life. I've told you about the mystery of the church and the mystery of the church is that God came out of heaven. Look, go back and read chapter two. He came when you were dead and he saved you. And listen, he created and saved you to do a work that his workmanship that God's power might be demonstrated to the world through you. And again, I'm not talking about doing weird stuff. I'm talking about just allowing him to have all of you to change you. So listen, Paul prays all of that, and I think, I, think, I think after he finishes verse 19, he goes, yes! And then listen to his doxology. We'll come back, and I want to read it, but we'll come back. And, and you know, I know that term. I know what doxology means and stuff. But I'm wondering, sometimes when I hear that, I think you just messed up 20 and 21. Because I think it's, listen, man, this is a heart of a man. It wasn't like Paul goes, i got to write a really awesome doxology now so people can get like, whew. It's like, here's what's going on. He is praying. Get a picture of this guy probably in a corner of a cell that's stinky and nasty and rotten, and he's been writing these people, and he's just got to get a picture of him. He's on his knees, and he's praying for these people, and he's praying that their inner man would be strengthened, that they would be able to somehow, in their inner man, be able to grab a hold of the idea that Jesus is dwelling in them, not just inside of them, dwelling in them, and that they would be able to comprehend all of the dimensions of God's love in their lives, and that they would, through that, that would be an understanding of the fullness of God dwelling in them. Man, and then I think he's sitting there and he's going, whoa, I think he can't contain himself, right? So again, you can call it a doxology, but I call it like Paul blowing his mind. And he says this, now to him, in verse 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be, the, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Now Paul says some things in here in the original language and it's like, Paul, you're inventing words. 
You're making up words. You're doing things just to try and express what you want. And the first part is where he says, man, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. That isn't even, I mean, really in the English, that isn't even really, it's like, do what? And he's like, he's like piling, you know, things on top of each other and you're going, Paul, why are you doing that? Well, because I can't find words to express what I want to express, so I'm going to make words up. That's where us pastors get it from. It's all Paul's fault. <laughs> so Paul is saying, man, do you understand? And, you know, every time I read this, every time I look at this, I think, to him who is able to do the unexpressible, let's put it that way, the unexpressible above all that we ask. Do you know Do you know that God can do so much more than you ask? He can do so much more that it's exceedingly abundantly more than you ask. Like you can't even out ask. You can't even, you can't even sit down and, you know, like kids, sometimes when you're with little guys, the little guys, and you tell them something, they go, why? And you explain that and they go, why? And you explain that and they go, why? And then you have to do that for like eight and a half hours. And you get frustrated, right? As a parent, you get frustrated. Want to take their heads off. I'll show you why. Unscrew your head and then you'll understand why. Do you know God never gets tired? Think about this. God never gets tired of you asking. Our heavenly father is so far above anything that we can imagine as a father that you can ask him over and over and over and over and over and he doesn't go, seriously? And Do you know that God wants to do more than you can even imagine? My prayer is, as believers, that we have some goals, we have some things, we we see some things that we feel that God wants us to accomplish in our life and do in our life, and I'm talking about spiritual things, and and hopefully everybody's got these these spiritual ideas, and, and we might even call them spiritual dreams. Do you know what God thinks when he sees you? Whew. He sees you so far past that. And you need to know that. And he says, man, listen to him. He says, I said that prayer, but I know he can do so much more than that. And then he says this. He says, according to the power that works in us. What is the power that works in us? He just talked about the fullness of God. The fullness of God is working in us. And I tell you what, when I remind myself of that in situations that I shouldn't be in, it's so much easier to get out of that situation. It's so much easier to turn it around in my life or my heart and say, I'm not, wait a minute. Jesus is dwelling. Jesus is at home in here. And I just kind of shut it, I just kind of shut that door like he went in that room and I went, stay in there for a while. I'm doing something out here you don't need to be seeing. Have you ever done that? And then, and then here's the thing, you do that and then pretty soon here's what you hear. Who's knocking? It's me. Let me out of this room. Now, I want you to stay in there because I'm doing something out here I don't want you to see. I can see you. So listen, man. Be that person. Be that one that that you know that his power, you have the power that created the universe dwelling in you. Why would you not tap into that? And then I love... Once again, he brings up the church, right? To him be glory in the church 
You see, we gotta come together, saints. We gotta, we gotta be together to understand that love. We gotta be together to really glorify God and to honor God. That's, that's, you know, that's the DNA of the church. And when we take that out of the church, we lose the DNA of exactly who we are and what we are as people of God. And then, and then he says, listen, the church by Christ Jesus, and then I love this, to all generations, God wants to work in this generation. He wants to work in the next generation. He wanted to work in previous generations. Listen, sometimes we look at generations and we go, oh my word. Some of us talk bad about millennials. Do you know what they said about my generation? Yeah, we made a mess. We like really mucked things up. Do you know that God loves millennials? I don't know what the next generation is. God loves, listen, every generation. He loves old people like me. He loves young people. He loves the generations that came before. He's gonna love the generations that come after. And we need to understand that. And I love this whole thing as Paul's wrapping this up for all generations. And then, and then how long does this last? To him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ or by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. It's never gonna stop. Do you know when we get to heaven that we're gonna spend eternity glorifying God? It's gonna be easier because it's gonna be in person, but it's gonna be, listen, we're not gonna get to heaven and go, okay. You know, sometimes people joke, they go, I'll rest when I get to heaven. You're not gonna rest in heaven. What on earth makes you think you're gonna rest? You're gonna be glorifying God. You're gonna be wanting to serve him. You want to involved. It's not like, hey, the good thing about heaven is we can't sin. That's the good thing. But we're gonna bring him glory forever and ever. And then, and then Paul kind of ends here. He says, amen. And, and I, I like to emphasize that for people who are newer to the faith. Amen doesn't mean over and out. <laughs> I've shared with the body before, and some of you haven't been here when I shared. When I first got saved, I looked upwards like amen. Because I got saved and I heard all the Christianese, you know, Christians saying, Hallelujah, glory to God, and all that stuff. And I'm going to, I used to go to a Bible study before I was saved, and, and I, was a, I was a poser, like some of you are posers in here tonight. I don't mean that in a negative way, that's just what you're doing. You're not, not really saved, you're just doing church. And I used to go, and, and people said those things, so I looked them up. I go, why? Well, what does amen mean? And I didn't, listen, I didn't even use the Strong's Concordance. I just got a dictionary. So what is amen? Because everybody says amen at the end. And don't, most of us, don't most of us really think it means I'm done? No, here's what it means. May it be so. May it be true. Now, Paul's praying this. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Like 14 through 21 are a transition into the rest of the letter. The beginning of the letter, he's talked to us and let us know who we are in Christ how we got there, the mystery of the church. Then here he begins to pray, and I look at this as a great transition because he's praying that all of that will come to reality in our lives and we would begin to flesh out this thing we call Christianity in a good way. I don't mean walking in the flesh. I mean, I mean living it out. And then, and then now, listen, through the rest, of the, the rest of the book, four, five, and six, he's going to make it very practical. So the transition here is perfect. He's praying for them, and now starting in chapter four, he's gonna say, okay, let's get with it. Here's, here's the prayer that your inner man may be strengthened and, and uh, 
Christ will dwell in you, that you'll know the love of God, you'll express the love of God. All of that will be reality in your life. And then his prayer is is that the fullness of God is in us. And then here's the thing. Now let's go do it. Let's go be practical about this. Let's take it out there. So that's where we're going. So tonight, my prayer is that you're built up a little bit. As you hear this, and, and not just me, but you just hear this and you're going, that is God's heart for me. I have a revelation of God's heart for me. And you know, some of us go, I don't know what God wants. Read your Bible. Here's what God wants for you. It's, it's very explicit. This is what he wants. So you know what? When you go home tonight, if you're still feeling a little bleh, like you did when you came in, here's what I want you to do. Go home and read that again. And when you get up in the morning, read it again. And read this prayer and make it, listen, make it something that you really believe and you're not just reading. Put down all of your books. I love books. Listen, I'm not against books. But we need to sometimes put books down and hear the heart of God. And the way you hear the heart of God is through his word speaking to your heart. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, that Lord, you you had Paul sit down and, and write these things. And you gave him, you gave him, you even gave him words that he made up to try and make these things more real for us in a way that we can bring it into our understanding and accept it and and have that. And God, I pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we wouldn't just make all of this theory, that we wouldn't just look at it and go, yeah, that's, you know, that's what Paul was praying for those guys centuries ago. But Lord, that we would understand that is your heart for us. For us right now in 2020, for us right now walking through the midst of something that we try and understand and put together and we can't. Try and get our heads around what's going on and it just doesn't doesn't make sense. But we read your word and here's what you tell us. You don't have to get your head around what love is. You just have to let love flow through you. Let me in is what God is saying in this, or Paul is saying in his prayer about God. God wants in our lives. And some of us, we need to stand here and say, God, I don't know why you want in my life, but come in. Come in every room, every place, every nook and every cranny. It's yours. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and Maybe you are a poser. And, you know, if you are, this is a good time to admit it, that to me the good news is Jesus already knows you're a poser. He's not going to be shocked. And the even better news is all you have to do is tell him he's not going to turn you away. He's going to accept you. So, or maybe you're somebody you just tonight realize I need to be saved. And if I'm speaking to you right now, 
man, I'm gonna encourage you once again to call on the name of the Lord, and by that, here's what we mean. You need to just be honest with God. Let God know that you know where you're at. That's called confessing your sin, and you need to do that. And then secondly, you just need to ask him to forgive you. The good news is he's already died on the cross. When we talk about the, the length and the depth and the width and, and the height of his love, just look at the cross. That's the example of, of that. And Jesus went to that cross because he loves you. So if you want to accept that tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer after me. You can say it, you can say it out loud. You can say it silently. It's got to be the cry of your heart, though. It's got to be sincere. If you're online watching, hey, you can say it right in your home. If you're backslidden, come back to Jesus and let him know you want to come home. Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And tonight, tonight, God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart and you said that prayer and you meant it sincerely, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up in the air, put it high up in the air so we can celebrate with you, pray for you. Anyone in here tonight, greatest decision you'll make. Father, I thank you again that, Lord, here we are, a room full of believers. And now that we've read and know what your heart is for us, I pray these, all of these things that we read, that they would be not just, again, words, but they would be reality in our lives. And as we go out those doors, that we would change our world that we would influence our world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.